Where they put the names from, and then one was called Trump. I think the Trump I named that dog Trump. And then currently we have some dogs at home. One is called Jax. Then I called what Max. So they are Jax and Max. But I realized one thing: no matter how, and then there's a little dog in the house. What's the name of that one? Kiki. Kiki. No matter how you call the dogs, they still remain dogs. I've just realized that their names do not change them. It is their nature to be dogs. In the same way, the name you give to sin does not change sin. You may call it mistake. You may call it weakness. You may call it fault. No matter the name you try to give to sin, sin is sin. And it, in fact, will be the same. In this series, I'll be trying not to make you feel sinful, but to make you feel righteous. The aim of this series is to arouse you the mystery of righteousness and not the power of sin over your life, but the mystery of righteousness. How you have received a divine enablement to live holy life. But in doing that, I need to show you the devastating effect of sin and how Satan has used sin to destroy the people. And how Satan has succeeded in making you believe that what you call a weakness, God has peace. The thing that you have renamed wicked, God understands that it is your wickedness. And so, it is not something that is against you. But it is an opportunity in trying to let people feel that these things don't think you make me feel. In this meeting, I am trying to promote a person. Bring your attention to the whole rugged cross and his attention of what the Father that the Holy Father believes in has been and it is the past forever. Are you hearing me? Let me give this then go in part one of this series. This night, I'm talking on the struggle of being. And our main reason that this is that is from Hebrews 12 and the verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggle against sin, 
you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The writer of Hebrew has made this very profound statement that in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, until you die for righteousness and holiness, you have no excuse for sin. But there are people here who can justify their sins. So a man cheats on the wife and says, well, my wife was not giving me sex. Or my wife does not satisfy me in bed. That's why I cheated. So the person just feels that that justifies his sin. We are women who say, my husband was not giving me attention. That is, that was why I cheated. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So you just can't conclude and make argument for the fact that you were not giving attention, or that's why you committed adultery. Well, is that man who has been taking care of me? If I stop with him now, even God knows that if I stop with him now, he will not, I will not, I will not be able to survive. So God Himself knows that I cannot survive without the man helping me. God knows it. It's funny how we know the things God knows. And sometimes we also know the things God understands. God understands that we are human beings. He understands that we are human beings. God understands that we are human beings. So we can falter. So we will sin. By all means, whatever we do, we will sin. Sometimes the sinning is not a problem. But your courage to justify it is so scary. It's so scary when you see Christians born again, spirit-filled. Well, maybe not spirit-filled. Maybe born again, but not spirit-filled. Because if you are spirit-filled, you will not be making some arguments. Oh! I wasn't getting paid well, so me too, I stole. The man was cheating us, so I stole from the office. The politicians are corrupt, so if we leave them, we will die. If the president can steal, or a politician can steal, let me to our still. Let me to our still. God even knows that I'm doing it for revenge. There are so many ways in which we try to justify when we don't meet the standard of God. The Bible admits that we struggle against sin. But the Bible says that in our struggle against sin, we are more resistant enough to the point of shedding blood. There's a very important scripture in the book of Romans that reveals how we struggle against sin. Now, this was written by Paul. Some people believe that it was Paul talking about his life before he became a Christian. Some actually believe that Paul was talking about his life while he was a Christian. 
I don't care what he was talking about. I don't care whether he was talking about his life before he was a Christian or his life after he was a Christian. But I want us to discuss. I want us to look at this, whether you see yourself in this. Whether you see yourself in this. And I will conclude by giving you a proposal on how to struggle against sin and overcome sin. So Romans 7, from the verse 15 to the verse 25. And you will note that I've highlighted the letter I. The letter I. So let me start reading. I don't really understand myself. For what I do not, for what I, for what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. If that I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good is in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. It makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. What a conclusion. The sinful nature makes you a slave to sin. So let's take our time and look at this carefully. Today is not a time for me to scream and shout and do other things. I want to walk you through something. I want to bring you to that point. I, I guess most of us, before I even start talking about this scripture, you are already associating yourself with this scripture. I hate the things I do. I really want to serve God well. I do not want to do the things I do, and I keep doing the things I hate. 
that most Christians are going through such things. That is why I don't want to conclude that Paul wrote this before he became a Christian. Because there are Christians here who really want to do the things that are right, but they end up doing wrong. How many of you have gone before the Lord and cried, Lord, I won't commit this sin again. I'm making a covenant with you. I won't commit this sin again. In le- and then in less than 24 hours, you go back into that sin. You see, the problem is that there is no difference between someone who calls himself a Christian because he goes to church and the unbeliever. And the unbeliever because he does not go to church. But in most cases, the difference between the Christian and the unbeliever is where they spend their Sunday morning. The most deceptive word, word in our relationship with God is the word Christian. In fact, Christian is alien to Jesus. Jesus never used the term Christian. He said, if you want to be my disciple, follow me. In heaven, no Christian will go to heaven. Only disciples will go to heaven. Christian, as we define it now, as the world defines it now, as you understand it now, come to church, do something to impress God, and go away, will not make heaven. We go to heaven, there will not be Christians in heaven. There will be only disciples in heaven. We were called to be disciples. Someone who learns from a teacher tries to become like that teacher, dresses like the teacher, eats what the teacher eats, believes in that teacher, ready to die for that teacher. So you see, the understanding of the 12 disciples of Jesus was entirely different from our current understanding of how to follow Jesus. These were guys that Jesus told that if you want to save your life, don't come with me. If you want to follow me, carry your cross. And they understood what Jesus meant. It was a call to sacrifice your life. Ready to die for following Jesus. Some of them lost their jobs. They lost their prestige in in society to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. At uh, one point, Jesus said to a group of people who wanted to follow him, was, until you hate your mother and father and your children and your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus' understanding of those of us who profess to follow him is different from the definition of the word Christian. Because the word Christian is in the manner of Christ. It does not call you into that higher commitment and that higher sacrifice like the disciples did. Peter was crucified upside down. Actually, he did not beg not to be crucified. He begged not to be crucified like the way Jesus was crucified. He said, no, 
no, I'm ready to be crucified for him. I'm not going to renounce my faith. But please, don't give me the dignity to die like my Lord. Let me die differently. Mark also was tied to a horse just in Egypt here on the street of Alexander, Alessandra and was dragged on the street until his flesh got torn into pieces. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, you know why he wrote the book of Revelation? He was thrown from a month, um, from, from a certain height, from the, at the temple height, to be killed. He fell down, he didn't die. They took him and put him in a boil, boiling oil. He didn't die. So finally, they said, let's get rid of him. They put him on an island called Patmos, so that animals can kill him. I'm not sure people know how he died. He just, just vanished. But we don't have that kind of commitment. Because we don't see ourselves as disciples. We see ourselves as Christians. And we are Christians by the definition of the world. The followers of Christ. The followers of Christ. So when there is a call to sacrifice for him, like this month, that there's a call to evangelize. That there is a call for us to go out and win souls after church. I can tell you some people will decide that for the next four Sundays, they won't be in church. Because they are not ready to go out to do evangelism. Evangelism for where? But I don't blame you. I don't blame you because you are a Christian but not a disciple. So in this particular scripture, I am not looking at whether you were born again, whether you are a Christian or an unbeliever. I'm saying that as we discuss this, you will notice that if you are a disciple, you are already empowered to overcome sin. Am I saying you cannot sin? No. So let's go
tell them to back white. They look at them and say, well, you know, I'm sitting back before you. <laughs> you know, sometimes you want to do what is right before your children. And then it becomes so difficult. So that you just bow to yourself. I will not argue with my husband in front of my children again. Or I will not touch my wife in front of my children again. I'm not saying that like, it is right to touch her, beat her in the ashes of the children. No. But then, in, in, in your recovery, you want to start from somewhere. So I'm not going to do that in the presence of my children. But you end up doing it. It is so difficult to even do human standard right. How much more God's standard right? So God knows you. God, God understands you. God appreciates the fact that you are struggling against sin. But have you struggled enough to the point of shedding your blood? Number seven, I want to do what is good, but I don't. The first one says, the earlier one, verse six says, I can't. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Uh, the seventh one says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. It's a difference between what you can't and what you don't. So at one point, the thing that at one point you were struggling to do it, but you couldn't. Now at some point you decide that I don't even want to do it anymore. I don't even want to do it anymore. I'm just tired. I'm tired of this thing called Christianity. Christianity is too restrictive. We are being too restricted. I cannot do this. I cannot, I cannot even play with this song. This small song. I cannot even play it. One time we went for evangelism when we were young Christians. And we were witnessing some people on the street. And there was a beer bar there. And they were playing, at that time, Lumba and Kodwenki were the top, most distant. And their songs were very powerful. The time we realized one of the sisters who was standing, well, usually we go in groups. Whilst we were talking to the people, some people were standing and praying. So one of the sisters that we were expecting to be praying for us, <laughs> forgot to say, okay, we'll do it like this. Whilst we were preaching, we were doing like this. Hey, what we did that sister Sister, we need deliverance. We have to deliver you. You need deliverance. How could a worldly song move you? How can you be moved by a worldly song? Hmm. Oh, what a sister. Oh, but there are a lot of sisters here like that. And brothers and brothers. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was driving from somewhere. I went to preach somewhere. I was coming. There's a guy selling me. Um, if you sell CDs and things, and now they have it on pen drive. The guy said, I have some here. I said, I want, um, why did I say I want, George, we, we met her. I, I, f- first I said, I want um, highlight. No, Moni and you are, I have highlight here. I said, oh, no, no, I, I want gospel. Yeah, this gospel. I said, it's the Olivia on this gospel. It's the Olivia songs in this one, on the pen drive. So yeah, the Olivia is included. See, he doesn't want to do what is wrong, but he's doing it. The sinful nature. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I do it anyway. So, Paul is like, like, sin has become automatic. You know, it's just like, like the thing, I don't even think about it, I just do it. I don't even think about it, I just do it. But <laughs> and then, if I don't want to, if I do what I don't 
want to do. I am not really the one doing wrong. That is true. It is sin living in me that does it. That does it. But I've also said, said to you, for believers, believers, sins, sin don't live in us. Sin doesn't live in us if we're Christian. Sin does not reside in you. So Paul here was talking about an unbeliever. So I'm trying to bring you to that point. If all these things I'm sharing, you seem to fall in it, check yourself and see whether you are born again. You know, the Bible clearly tells us to examine ourselves to see whether we are still in the faith. Whether we are still in the faith. Examine yourself consistently. It was in all these things I'm talking about. And Paul was making very definite, definite position. Was taking very definite position. The sin that lives in me. The sin that resides in me. The sin. And I'm asking this question. That sin resides in a believer. And he was not talking about sins. But sin. That sin resides in the believer. Especially in the spirit of the believer. I'll show you. And he goes on to say, but I want to do what is right. But when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Well, let's go back to the scripture we just read. And let me show you how he concluded. Let me show you how he concluded. Say, so thank God, verse 25, thank God that answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So see, so you see how it is. In my mind, I'm re I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Can a believer be a slave to sin? No. You see, whatever a slave should take away your will. It takes away your will. So the believer cannot be a slave to sin. So, if you feel right now that you are a slave to sin, sin has taken dominion over your life, and you don't have any way in which you can even overcome it, and you have come to that settlement in your spirit that this is the way I am, this is my nature, I cannot change, I cannot do anything about it. Please note this and understand this. You are you either never got born again, or you did, but has backslided. Because I will show you something. Now, look at the scripture. Okay, let me show you a picture. Let me show you a picture before, before. I, do you remember this? So, those of you who are, Laura, you remember, and I will do these things. I was asking Kevin, he hasn't seen this before. When, when we were children, we used to do local high jump. You remember? We do our own things and we jump. But as, the, as we raise the bar and the bar goes up, we are wearing blocks to enable us to jump. Hey, so you run and then you step on the block and then you jump. And then they raise it again. Then you come, you step on the block, you jump, and then you hit the bar, and then it falls. So, you add one more block. And then you run again, then you stand on it, then you jump. 
and then you say they are coming for you. Well, actually, it is not you who is beating the mark. You have enablers. The blocks that they have arranged is helping you beat the standard set. The block, if they take the blocks out, you will not be able to successfully jump by the blocks. And the more you fail, the more blocks you add. As you keep adding the block, you keep climbing up. You keep jumping up. So they will say in the community that you are the top high jumper and that your school will believe you and going into school's competition where there are no blocks there, you have to jump on your own, they put you there and you start hitting the thing. Now, this is the picture of how God raises standards and now arranges blocks for us to help us beat the standard. Are you here to help us? So what is this blocks that God arranges? What are these blocks? Let me show you something. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and the verse 21. God made him who had no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the mystery of the Christian life is this. Now, God said Jesus who has never sinned before and did not make him commit sin on our behalf, but he actually made him sin. So when Jesus hung on the tree, he had become your sin. He had become your sin. And then you became righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ. So you can't be righteous outside Christ. You are righteous only in Christ. And that righteousness is not what you did. But it is what Christ made you. Are you here? Dr. Mills here did not do anything to become a man. He was created a man. He doesn't have to put in any effort to become a man. I said, of course, those who want to, I said, he wants to change to become a woman. Then he has to go and see doctors, they have to cut some things off. <laughs> you, you get it? Then he has to, you need human effort and other things. Mommy is a woman. She didn't do anything to become a woman. And when you see women, you know they are women. They are nicely built, fearfully and wonderfully made. That's great stuff for men. It's for women. We who told you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at us. Oh, you close to us, you see the women on their heels in the way they walk. You see us coming. The women, the women do cat work. We do dog work. 
Children got the walk. And they, they just jump everything that will make them dirty. Men, we are like dogs, dogs. You just go, 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 Women must make you fear God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Are you here? Do you understand? So, that is the same way righteousness is. Righteousness is what you become when you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. You become it. Automatically, you become it. So God created you and put a womb in you because you're a woman so that you can give birth to children. And then God made you, you don't put a womb in you. There is no way you can give birth to children. So the way you function is not in your power. It is in the power of the one who made you a man. The way you function is in the power of the person who made you. I was jokingly last night we were having to sit down, having a child with my children, and they were doing Bible jokes. So I was listening, my Mr. Wise said, She said, Daddy, do you know why God created man before woman? I said, No. Why is it? I was just going to say, I want to be spiritual. I was going to say, Because of order. Because of order. He said, No. It's because God didn't want any opinion. For women, we have opinion about everything. So God, <laughs> if God had created women first, God would not have put that woman to sleep, to create man. She will be there, I want to know what is going on. <laughs> like today when I was coming to church, I had a voice, Honey, honey, come. Then I went to mommy's room. Okay, I wanted to see your clothes before you go. She had an opinion. She could have asked me, I don't like the seat, go and change. And I would have gone to change. So women, you see, and the way they function is the way they have been made. The way they function. The problem of many men is trying to let your, your wife behave like a man, behave like you. That's good this way, they can do this. No, women are different. They can be like you. They can talk like you. That is the way that we were structured to function. We have also been structured to function in a way. As well, in the same way, when you become a Christian, you are structured to function in a way by God making you righteous. So what does that mean? So righteousness is holiness and labor. Something that enables you to live holy life. Something that helps you to meet the standard of God. And look at how, look, I'm going to show you how it is done. Can you show me my last slide? Let me read from here and then we close. I'm going to show you how God did it. How God did it. Let me tell you this. Any Christian sitting down here, if you are born again, spirit-filled believer, and you are living in habitual sin, now, habitual sin means that this sin, I am committing it, I 
call it my weakness, I call it mistake, and I'm going to do it. It's either you did not get born again, or you are backslided, or you are intentionally doing something. But God enabled all of us to live a holy life. Now look at this. Look at how the righteousness takes place. How the change takes place. How you are changed from, from Kwame in whose house all the men are womanizers, all the men are, are white beaters, all the men have children with different people. When you become born again, there is a change. You cannot repeat what your father did as an unbeliever and call it the bloodline. I believe there is a bloodline, but I want to show you how you can overcome the bloodline. I want to show you. If your father is short and he gives birth to you and you are short, or he's tall and gives birth to you and you are tall, that is biological, but in the realms of the spirit, you can change. Look at this. Colossians 2 20. How God made you righteous. I have been crucified with Christ. So we, we, we have some eyes here. Some eyes here. We have 26 eyes earlier. And that was the problem with the situation of Paul. The eyes, the eyes, the eyes. There were too many. I did this, I this, I that. The eye. I have been crucified with Christ. So the I is crucified. Who you are, your Christian life begins by you getting crucified. Crucified. You are dying from all the curses from your father's house, all the um, evil doings of your father's house. You are dying. Every sin in your life will be buried. You are crucified. With Christ, I say, and I no longer live. The eye that was alive in Romans 7, in Galatians 2 20, say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's very righteous, and that is the mystery of our Christian life. The mystery of the Christian life is only Christianity that says God is living in us. That says God is living in us. No, my house is my house can be very hot. I have my own standards. I have things that I set there. Sometimes I pity my children when they are trying to meet the standard. You know, I call Kevin man to man with say that son, you know, these rules are made. It's for your own benefit. This is how you can meet them. Meet them this way, meet them this way, meet them this way. I tell him that I know you feel you're a man. You are 27, you feel you are mad. But as I'm alive, you feel you remain boy. So, either you pray for me to die, or, or, or we do this relationship on these principles and it will help you. And then we meet, we discuss, we go there from there. Because you see, I have a nature of God, so I set the standards and I want to help my, my children to meet the standard I have set. So I explain to them, but in God's own, eh, in God's, just, that, just that I set the standard. And I'm able to meet my own standards. I set the standard based on my strength. And I'm trying to get everybody to meet standards I've set based on my strength. Like mommy, eh? When mommy eats in the afternoon, she doesn't eat again. And now she wants to make it a rule in the house. 
So super is the room in the house. So we eat in the afternoon. And then evening is I mean, I want to eat. She goes like, ah, what's ADD? I'm like, ADD saying, <laughs> we ate in the afternoon. You see, yeah, but it's okay. I'm not hungry. Why should you be hungry? I say, yeah, right. Please, we are different, too. Find me something. So the even goes on the children. Mama comes and says, Mommy, I want to eat. So now you are eating. Then I still like glance like this. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, when did Mama eat that you see? So I ask her, what time did Mama eat? Oh, he ate in the afternoon. I saw him eating in the afternoon. I said, so you will eat this evening. Ah, you know, I'm going to be this Mommy can just eat once a day, and she's fine. And she's walking around. She's fine. She grew up in Cantonment. I grew up in Nadabraka. I, I, I used to eat four bowls of kinky for breakfast. <laughs> and now you are coming to tell me <laughs> four bowls of kinky for breakfast, a mountain of bamboo for, um, for lunch, and then we repeat the kinky again in the evening. Carbohydrate personified. So we are there, we are going. There are some guys who can identify with me, isn't it? Ah. Then the woman now wants to set the stuff. So, so, so that is it. But you set that standard, you are not in me. You are not me. So God sets a standard. And God says, I'll set a standard based on my righteousness, my holiness, who I am. You cannot meet it. But because I am God, I am coming to live in you. I can live in you, and I will meet the standard through you. Are you here? You see, that's why if Jesus said that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In fact, we should start telling people that if you see me, you have seen God. I'm just like God. Talk like him, do everything like him. Are you here? Sometimes I tell people, you see my relationship with money, it's just like the relationship of Christ and the church. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So Christ now comes to live with me. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. If Christ is truly living in you, you will show it. You, you will show it in your character, in your everything. So you are not going to be the Roman 7 person. You are going to be the Galatians 2.20 person. The life I now live in the body. The life I now live in the body. So, so Paul is saying something now. So the life I now live in the body. So he is not a body. He lives in the body. He is not a body. He lives in the body of sin. Next week I'm talking on the body of sin. He lives in the body of sin. Now, this guy called Paul now, who was complaining in Romans 7, is now saying, now I live a life, a certain life. The life I live in this body. Christ lives in me, and then I live in the body. So now let the body take control, let me see. Now, the life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He must say, I live by faith. I don't have to see him walking into me 
But by faith, because the Bible says so, I believe that he lives in me. And that faith begins to work in your life. So that a prostitute can become a preacher. An armed robber can become a pastor. A murderer, like Paul, became an apostle. It is that change that happens when Christ comes to live in you that many of us do not have. Because we are in church, but not in Christ. Are you here? Because we are in church, but we are not in Christ. He is not inside you. He is not there. That is why sin has enslaved you. That is why sin has taken dominion over you. That is why the high jump, you are no enabler. Righteousness is the enabler. It helps you to jump and meet God's tolerance. Are you here with me? So you have to examine yourself to see whether you are still in the faith. Christ has been praying with me. Rise up and lift up your voice. This is not a shouting prayer. This is an individual prayer. And guess what? I want you to pray this prayer in your language. Don't speak in tongues. Don't even speak in English. In your language. Talk to him. You have heard this. I don't want to give you a prayer topic. I want you to have your own topic from this sermon. Pray. If you do this. Can we sing this song, I Surrender? I surrender.
that he can help you
begin lifting it from your seat, please walk towards her. Our pastor is not taking you. Make sure you put one foot drop while you left from your seat and come to this place. Our pastor is not taking you. Pastors, make sure you follow them and make sure they come back. Take one foot drop and come right now. You are waiting for your continue to clap on Sunday. God bless you. Now you are here. Whilst I was preaching, you said, I need to surrender my life more. Today is the day of surrender. You need to surrender every aspect of your life to God. You feel you are a Christian, all right, you are a believer, all right, but you need some surrender. I want to pray with you. Come to the church. Come to the church. Let me pray for you. You are a Christian, all right, but you need some surrender. God bless you. God bless you. Come forward here right now. Don't look at anybody. This is between you and God. You need to surrender. You, you feel that, Lord, I need, I need to surrender all to you. I need to surrender all to you. Let's see. Thank you. 